All right, I think we're ready to get going. Good morning, church. Oh, I'll get you here. Good morning, church. It is great to have you here in the room. It's great to have everybody here online. Welcome to Colwood Church today. My name is Sean, one of the pastors here on this team, and it is, it is good to have you here. Who's enjoying the sunshine so far? I mean, this has been absolutely fantastic, but uh, here we go today. We're excited for what's going to happen right now and then after as we congregate down at Juan de Fuca for a little bit of a picnic and some fun. So we hope that you'll be able to join us here today. I got to make an admission to all of you, I do not like math at all. In fact, I struggled with math quite a bit in my education, and so I'm just not a fan. And so it got me thinking this week is what, what would possibly be the worst number in, in mathematics today? I mean, think about that. What would be the worst number that you could think of when it comes to math for you today? Some people would probably contend that one is the ugliest number because it represents lonely. Uh, some people would probably immediately jump to the number 13 or the unlucky number 13, and people will try to stay away from that as much as possible. But I found a new word this week that I think is going to take the cake, and the word is hexacosio hexaconta hexaphobia, and it is the fear of the number 666. Go ahead, try to say that to your neighbor right now. Hexacosio hexaconta hexaphobia, real thing. It is the fear of this thing called 666. And it's interesting, right? Have you heard of this number before, 666, anywhere? I mean, people have a lot of opinions about this. Have you ever been given a receipt that actually equaled $6.66 and you're like, I can't do this? You pass it back to them. Please put one more penny on the thing. We were actually driving this uh, in the last couple weeks. Lisa and I were heading up to our camp, the News Bay Pentecostal camp. And as we're driving along this big pick logging truck, written on one of the logs on the side was 666. Lisa's like, step on the gas and get gone. Like there was this fear. People have seen the license plates. They're like, just get out of here. Do not do it. In fact, in Louisiana state, they once had the prefix of 666 to their phone numbers. It irritated a lot of people. So they changed the number and the prefix even in their own state. I was having lunch with a couple of friends just last week. And what happened was they, in their business, own a bunch of mailboxes. And they had mailboxes issued from 300, I believe, to 1,000. And then when it came to the mailbox 666, nobody would purchase it. Nobody would place his rent. But then they decided to do one thing. They decided to change the number to 777 instead. And all of a sudden, they sold the mailbox. People have this fascination and this fear of this number that is 666. It surfaces itself, especially in the Christian culture, because of what we're about to read today in our series, Not As It Seems. And it is here where we finally get to talk about 666. Are you excited? <laughs> Are you afraid? Because we're going to take a look at this today. So our chapters today... Revelation 12 and 13. I'm going to read Revelation 12 right now. And I got to tell you, what I'm about to read today, I don't think Hollywood comes close to what we're about to do together today in this text. And this is a gooder, and I hope that you have a lot of fun with this today. And this is where it starts. And this is John again speaking to us. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. And then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads 
and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Isn't this great so far? She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and caught up to God and to his throne. Awesome. And the woman fled to the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. And then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Somebody say amen. No, you don't want to do that for that one? Okay. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so that she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. And there she would be cared and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. And then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river and gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was very angry at the woman, and he declared war against the rest of her children, all of those who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. And then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. Wow. Let's pray. I think we need help. Father, thank you for your word, and it's here for a reason. And so I ask that today you would again teach us. Show us what you need to communicate, Holy Spirit. Come and reveal. You know, open our eyes as we understand that Revelation is an apocalyptic literature. It's meaning that it's going to reveal something to us. So may you reveal today. May we learn and know what you want to do with our lives today. So I give you thanks for this time and this space. Thank you for your presence. Continue with us, I pray. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, today we are kind of at the halfway point of, of the book of Revelation in our series, Not As It Seems, although technically chapter 11 is that really today is one of the pivotal moments now of where we're going to shift inside of this story. And because of that, I want to remind us again, I'm going to take us backwards to establish how we tackle these two chapters of a dragon and these two great beasts. So let's take a look at this today. I want to remind you that when we read the book of Revelation, Revelation is a book about Jesus by Jesus. This is not a book about the Antichrist. It is a book about the living Christ. Thank you. This is important for us to see today. Jesus has written this about himself. Number two is that discipleship is exactly what the book of Revelation is all about for your life. 
is a book that wants to help you in your relationship with Jesus. And third, we have to look at the book of Revelation with the lens of the rest of Scripture. In fact, woven into the rest of the Bible is the book of Revelation. Revelation is not an anomaly. It is not something that's really weird. It is woven into the fabric of the rest of Scriptures. I used a quote in the very first week of introducing this um, series to us today. I'm going to bring it back today just as a reminder because we just really read some crazy things, did we not, from Revelation chapter 12. But G.K. Chesterton said, though St. John the Evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. And this is where we get caught when it comes to chapters like this in the book of Revelation. Everybody's got their theories. Everybody's got their opinions. And so we have to do it due justice and look at what God is trying to say. We've looked at the literary styles of what Revelation would be from apocalyptic to today, we're going to land on a text that actually is a literature type of theopolitical. Theopolitical meaning that religion and politics coexist together. Folks, I'm here to tell you today that you cannot take Jesus out of politics. He is in charge of that realm and that, in that world as well. And we cannot separate them. Jesus belongs in the political landscape of our lives. But I'm going to take it another step, and I'm going to introduce you to a, a thing that I had not seen until we started studying here today. But here is the new word for you today, theopolitical megalomania. It comes from Michael Gorman, and this is exactly what this is. It's a collaboration of political power and religious sanction, both at play at the same time. And we're going to explore that, especially as we look at these chapters today. One thing is clear that as we've looked at Revelation so far, we have seen the Trinity. The Trinity is the, the three persons of God. It is God the Father, who we saw evidenced and witnessed, especially in Revelation chapter 4. It comes down to Jesus Christ the Son, why we celebrate communion and we remember communion, which we saw Jesus as the little lamb seated on the throne in Revelation chapter 5. And then last week, um, we talked about, and Pastor Tyson delivered the message, we learned about the person of the Holy Spirit. We have seen, through the book of Revelation, the Trinity. We have seen God the Father, Jesus the Son, the person of the Holy Spirit, all at work and at play. And it is the legit Trinity, because what we're about to explore today is a counterfeit Trinity. And we've just read in chapter 12 that there is this big red dragon, who is Satan, who tries to be like God the Father. We are going to learn about these two beasts, which again are representative of trying to mimic Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so what we are seeing today is a counterfeit at its best. What we are seeing in chapters 12 and 13 is all about imitation. There is a dragon and his beast, and they are trying to imitate God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Mimicking and imposter syndrome is at play. And so where I want us to land and I want you to walk away with today would be this one phrase in this one line. And it is this, that imitation has limitation. Imitation has limitation. So we have been now introduced in chapter 12 to the third window of Revelation. We have looked at the other key windows where we've had this unique insight given to us about revelation and the kingdom of God. In chapter one, we saw the first window and it was about the churches. In Revelations chapter four and five, we were given access to the second window, which was the throne room of heaven, where God was seated on his throne and the lamb that was slain. 
And right now in chapter 12, we are introduced to the third window where there is this epic cosmic battle that has taken place. To do this, we have to look at some of the key characters. First of all, there was a woman that was introduced in the text. And you'll notice that the reference to this woman has a direct link to Genesis chapter 30, 39, verse 7. And you'll see that verse on the screen today. But this woman is important for us to understand. Let me explain to you who this woman is. This woman is representative of the people of God, of Israel, both before and after the coming of Jesus Christ. This woman is the mother Mary, and she is giving birth to her son, whose name is Jesus. And this woman is also representative of the church today. And then we are introduced to the enemy of the story, and there is this big red dragon. I couldn't, I tried to think of how could I explain to you this red dragon, and I thought of J.R.R. Tolkien's book uh, and writing called The Hobbit. I don't know if you've seen it, but it was released into a movie not too long ago, and there's a picture up on the screen for you to see this big red dragon. I just thought that this dragon was powerful, it was mighty to see, and it gives us a real picture of what is trying to be described to both you and I. We need to learn a couple of things about this dragon. This dragon is one bad entity. I mean, it is told to us that he has seven heads and then seven crowns. He has 10 horns on his head as well, which are representing great power and a royal authority. And this is where we begin to see a false divinity. He is proclaiming through the number seven a issue of perfection. So there is a false divinity that is at play. And as we have learned, this is talking about Satan, our enemy. But we have with us here a timeline malfunction, do we not? Because many of us, when we have studied Revelation, we've looked at it as a future predictive. But our series title is, well, things are not as they seem. If it is always about a future predictive, then why in the world are we talking about in Revelation chapter 12 something that took place about 2,000 or 100 years before that and 2,000 years before where we are today? Because what we're talking about here is something really critical. You know what's at stake here? Is that what we're about to talk about right now is the Christmas dragon. Have you ever thought about this? This is the Christmas dragon. We have talked about for a really long time when we get to Christmas, a beautiful manger scene. It's sweet, it's pretty with its animals. Everybody is peaceful, nobody's cried, nobody has been hurt. And it is a picturesque scene. But Revelation chapter 12 shows us that there's something happening in the cosmos that is incredibly dangerous. And it is here where we're shown to this Christmas dragon. We are instructed that a massive war has then broken out in heaven and there is this epic fight that is taking place while baby Jesus is in a manger and not crying and he's not even hungry because he's well-fed already. And it's interesting that in this massive war that is taking place in the cosmos, that we have to understand that something significant as well was happening on earth. And this reminds me of Ephesians chapter 6, which says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness and authorities of this unseen world. We want to understand that Ephesians 6 is woven into Revelation chapter 12, and we see that it is not against people. It is about against this dragon and his little minions. It's not as it seems, right? I mean, when we look at this text today, the decisive victory for heaven is one on earth, Interesting, don't you think? 
that heaven's battle was found in a manger. And it just shows us today that there are implications for you and I as we live on this earth that impact heaven. It's why we've encouraged you in this series that when you pray, those prayers are received in golden bowls and offered as incense to God because when we pray on earth, it impacts the implications of heaven. This is important for us as we move forward. Let me tell you a couple things about this dragon. In verse 8, it says that this dragon deceives you. In verse 9, it says that he accuses you. In verse 12, it says that he's angry with you and he wants to kill you. How many of you would like a friend like that? in your life, right? Of course, we don't want any of these. This is what this dragon does. There are three things that happen with this dragon in this text that we cannot ignore. Number one, it says that in verse uh, five, that the child is snatched away from in front of the dragon. In fact, verse five is really funny when you begin to look at it because verse five was the child is born and then he ascends to the throne with God. We know that this is a picture of Jesus. So Jesus is born, he dies, and everybody's like, what happens in the in-between of those moments? And it's irrelevant in some respect because that was the purpose of why Jesus came to this earth, to be born, to be Emmanuel, God with us, and then to ascend to his throne because he is the savior of the world, right? And so verse five, we see that this child is snatched away, kind of takes off the devil. He's a little bit upset. And so it shows us that in verse 13, he decides to pursue the woman instead. And it says that he tries to drown her, but the earth kind of consumes some water. And this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 43. And let me read these words to you. It says, But now, O Jacob, listen to to the Lord who created you. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid. See, I have ransomed you and and I have called you by your name and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, God says that I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulties, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up and the flames will not consume you. For I, the Lord, your God, the Holy One, and am your Savior. Do you feel like you're drowning today? Do you feel like you are perhaps like this woman in Revelation chapter 12? I want you to be encouraged today because God says you're not going to drown and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to see you through. And then when he strikes out on the child and he strikes out on the woman, it then says that he is going to come after her children. Who are her children? You and me. Aren't you encouraged today that this big red dragon is about to come after you? Because that's what the text is showing us. This is incredible for us to see today. I want you to know, do not underestimate this dragon. This dragon, deceptive, accusations, wants to kill you. Do not, do not underestimate this dragon. But please hear me. Satan is no better than a dog on a leash, and he knows it today. Folks, this narrative today is not about a big red scaly dragon. It is about a lamb. And in verse 5, it shows us this little lamb one more time. And guess what it says about this little lamb? It says that this little lamb has an iron rod. What is that all about? Let's go to Psalm 23, just for a quick moment, where it says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And then there are a couple verses there, but then it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. What does it say? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Revelation chapter 12 
is not just about this big red dragon. It is about the little lamb who holds this iron rod, which is all about supreme power and control and authority. And he holds that rod and he looks over our lives and that dragon does not scare the lamb. That dragon has been defeated by that lamb and that lamb has defeated everything that that dragon tries to bring to you and I today. And he is an iron rod and he is leading this world. And then it's interesting because in, uh, in verse 12, we are introduced to something that is really cool. And it shows us that that dragon has been thrown out of heaven. It's interesting because in the original language, what that word means thrown is this, bounced. That the devil has been bounced out of heaven. The devil has been bounced to this earth. He has been bounced from the dominion. He has been bounced, and he is conquered and defeated. Bounced. The devil has been bounced today. As big and scary as he may appear to be, bounced. Because there's a lamb who holds an iron rod, and he is in control of it all. Somebody say amen or something. I mean, this is important for us today to see because the narratives we can get so misled on. Daryl Johnson says that the suffering of the church in the world is not a sign of Satan's victory. It is a sign of his realization of defeat. And here's the deal today, folks. As big as this dragon is, as dangerous he is going to be, the word in Revelation 12 says that we have been given three things that are important for us to not gloss over today. Number one, when it comes to this dragon, we have overcome the dragon by the blood of the Lamb by Jesus' death and resurrection. Number two, that we have overcome by the word of our testimony. Pastor Tyson again last week talked about the witness. This is why it's important to witness the things of God in your life. Tell somebody about it because we overcome when we open our mouths and we speak about it. Well, I'm an introvert. It doesn't matter. Do that with one person, not a hundred. The idea here is that we have to share the witness. And the third thing is that it is an issue of discipleship. And it is this idea of that will you lay down your life? Remember, folks, that death is not the last word. It's the second to last word. Let that sink in. Death is not the last word. It's the second to last word. Why? Because imitation has limitation. And the last thing that I want to pick up out of chapter 12 is that notice where um, the dragon stands before his beasts are about to be revealed. It says that the, the dragon stands by the sea. And we've talked about this sea. The sea was in the second window of the picture in the throne room of heaven where there was a sea that sat in front of the presence of God and that sea was completely still. At the end of Revelation, we're going to see that that sea is completely gone for some reason. But here, the sea returns. And the idea of the sea was that back in antiquity, people did not like the sea. It was a scary place. It was about chaos. It was about fear. And what was beginning to take place at this picture when we see this dragon is that he is about to unleash a fear and a terror upon this earth. And now it has happened in our past. It is happening present tense today, and it will continue to happen. But this dragon stands by the sea, and it again is symbolic of the fear and the terror that is associated with it. 
And so we have to take a look at, as he stands by the sea, this great dragon, what is he going to say? So let's read it. It says, Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns, with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave this beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worship the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed, and who is able to fight against him? And then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. And they are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made. The book that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered. Now anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Revelation chapter 13 helps us understand why it is so difficult to remain loyal to Jesus against such a strong power. Here we are introduced to the beast of the sea, the first beast. This first beast has two references to it. Number one comes from Job chapters 40 and 41 where we learn a long time ago about the Leviathan and the behemoth that come from the sea. That's why the people had a great fear when it came to the sea. The second reference comes from the book of Daniel, another book that is riddled with apocalyptic literature. But in Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 to 14, and I'm not going to take the time here to read all of it, but I do want you to hear this uh, third beast that Daniel talks about in his apocalyptic revelation. It says, Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four bird's wings on its back, and it had four heads, and great authority was given to this beast. What Daniel does in this chapter is that he introduces us to four different beasts. In fact, the first three beasts are representative, and please understand this with me today, they're representative of political powers and empires. It represented Babylon, and we're going to kind of unpackage Babylon in these next number of weeks. It also talked about a Persian empire, and it talked about a Greek empire. The fourth beast that Daniel identifies in Daniel chapter 7 is an important one as well. This beast is referred to as world empire under Satan's dictatorship. And for the first century Christian who is reading the book of Revelation, they would have understood that to be the nation of Rome and the Roman rule of the day. What Daniel, what John are beginning to describe to us here is that these are all human kingdoms, king, kingdoms of, of policy that have ejected the living God from the center. Keep this in mind. 
The Roman emperor Domitian, as we have learned in this series already, decided to call himself Lord and God. In fact, when it came to the Roman Empire, he called it the Eternal Empire. You would kind of think that for those first century Christians reading this, they're thinking, yeah, well, we know who this beast is. It's Domitian, and it is Rome, or it could have been Nero. Many people will have perspectives all around it. But when John details for us today the beast from the sea and the land, most commentators will agree that what we are dealing with is a political perspective. And so when we look at this first beast, we see the influence of the policy of imperial power and empire. Many would refer to this beast as the Antichrist. Maybe this is some language that you have heard before, but the word Antichrist is nowhere to be found in the book of Revelation, just so that we're clear. But the Antichrist means someone who is opposite of and instead of Jesus. Eugene Peterson says that the kingdom of God, an altogether political metaphor, is basic vocabulary in understanding the Christian gospel. It is at the same time responsible for much misunderstanding. I think when it comes to policy and world power, there has been a deep misunderstanding that has taken place in many people's lives. Because when we think of this political empire, we think of the exercise of power. And where we've seen it gone wrong in our world is that, number one, there's a manipulation of force, military. Number two, that there is a manipulation of words, which is propaganda. And I guarantee many of us in this room today, we know what those look like even in our culture today. But we have misunderstood because of what it has appeared to be here on this earth. Politics will always involve two elements, the exercise of the ruling power and the means by which that power is exercised. The difference between these imperial earthly powers and the kingdom of God is very deep because where down here there would be a manipulation of force or propaganda, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is not going to come by force. It is going to come by love. And so there is a big difference when we begin to look at what is happening here. And I could assume that I know what some of you could be thinking in this room or online today is uh, Justin Trudeau than the Antichrist. <laughs> or I've heard people say, what about that Donald Trump guy when he was there? Um, what about Vladimir Putin? What about in the middle of the, of the last century where the, Israel, or the Jewish people probably thought Hitler could have been this beast or Stalin? I mean, we've all had representations. We've all seen imperial powers rise and fall. And so many of us want to pin something quite specific, but who honestly really knows? What we know is that there is a red dragon and he is manipulating things of this earth and we see it, especially when it comes to this political perspective. We learn this about this one beast. This beast is very powerful. This beast blasphemes God, names written all over it to blaspheme the name of who he is. An interesting part of this beast is that there is a fatal kill shot that happens to one of the heads, and then there's a miracle that takes place. And then it shows us that the people worship this beast. Let me go back to the three main points of how we have to read Revelation. And I said the second point is that this is about your discipleship. And my question to you when it comes to this language of this beast is, who, church, will you worship? in your life. 
because this beast points people to the dragon. There is a political perspective that does happen here and in our world that will point people to this dragon instead of our allegiance to Jesus. Imitation has limitation. What we're beginning to see with this beast is that it's, again, a mimicking at its best. But I do want us to notice what happens in verses 5 and 7 with this beast. It says that this beast has been given authority. Where does the beast get that authority? Some would probably contend it's the dragon. But I got to tell you today that, again, when it comes to the dominion and the rulership of this entire universe, we have one that sits on the throne, and it's God. And God gives this permission, again, to take place in this world. And I know it is hard, and it's a tough pill to swallow, but it's still communicating that God is still in control, and he is still in charge The call for you and I today when it comes to this first beast is to watch whether it is a person or an empire. Who is asking you to worship it instead of Jesus? And be very aware when those moments happen. Who will you submit your knee to? Who will you bow to? And when you stand up against this beast and the power of evil in your life, verse 10 encourages, says that persecution is inevitable. But I want you to think of that today as a badge of honor. So let's finish this thing out and then let's take a look and close it. The next beast says, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth and he had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all authority of the first beast and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. And he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which is either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. And wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six, six, six. The beast of the land has been referred to as the false prophet. But again, keep in mind, this is someone imitating the lamb. They are strong. They are replicating, again, something that the real trinity is all about. This beast has a lot of authority. There are miracles. And this is where many of commentators have landed on this idea that is where we get the sense of, of that this beast is all about now religion at its origin. So whereas the first beast represents the political domain and the empires, suddenly over here we see religion in its local origin, that there is a false prophet trying to spew out things that are untrue and not real. In fact, what we would see here is religion at its worst because what this false prophet and this beast is going to do, it is going to take truth and it's going to twist it to make a point. 
And folks, I have to tell you today that that is what we call false worship. When our attention is not on Jesus and on something else, we have missed the boat. This beast is going to take people, maybe people like you and I who are solid in their faith, and he's going to twist them to believe falsehood and lies. This beast points to the first beast. What is happening here is that even in religious circles, we are pointing towards a political means. And again, what is taking place even in the religious is that there is an allegiance shift. And we have to be very careful when it comes to the play of these beasts and its dragon. Because where will your allegiance be is the question. Who are you going to worship? Will you worship this dragon, its beasts, or will you worship God? And to make the point clear as mud, 666 rears its ugly head. 666 is a triple failure to be 777. Six is the number of imperfection, whereas seven is the number of perfection. 666 is a triple failure to be 777. Seven is a divine number. It is belonged to by God. The devil has tried to mimic that. He has tried to replicate that, but it is a false allegiance. Lots of communication has come um, from what this could be. What about this mark on the forehead, on the, on the wrist? What is it? Has it shown up? Will I know? Um, one of the tools that uh, people have used to try to pinpoint a person is this thing called gematria, which is gematria is a, is a mathematical sum of letters in a word. And so what people have done is they've taken names like Hitler or Caesar Nero, and in languages, they have actually found them to equal 666. And so they've pinned them on. Gematria is a fun little study. Go take a look at it. I'm not going to spend time on it. But through this pandemic that we have been living in, um, I've heard a lot of people who have said this. The vaccine must be the mark of the beast. So let me be abundantly clear with you and say this today in all humility. No, it was not. Because what was not required of you was your worship of Jesus Christ. To take this mark, whatever it will be and however it will be, means that you have given your allegiance away to the devil and to his beasts. I think the vaccine had more to do with your health than it had to do with your worship of Jesus Christ. Just food for thought today. But when it comes to this 666 and this number that is on the back of your hand or on your forehead, I want to give us just a quick history lesson, and I'm just about wrapped up here. But it was something known as the Shema. And the Shema is a Jewish confession of faith. In fact, there are three scriptural texts that are used for the Shema. Let me just read you Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 8. It says, listen. O Israel, but let me just adjust this for a second. Listen, Callwood Church. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again and to your children. Talk about them when you are at your home and when you are on the road and when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. Listen to this, tie them around your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. 
Write them on the doorposts of your house and, and on your gates. So what the Jewish people would do is they would take these scriptures and they would place, they would roll them into very small capsules and they would place them onto phylacteries. Now I've got a picture for you to see, kind of get the idea of what was taking place. What these people would do is they would place these on the back of their, fore, of their hands as well as place them on their foreheads. It was representative of their mind and their action in living for Jesus Christ. The reference of binding on the hand and the forehead in the Old Testament, in the Torah in particular, is not the law itself, but it was a reminder to keep the law with all the one's heart. And so what we begin to see, if this idea is carried over into the book of Revelation, then the mark of the beast is something that involves false worship, and it is a reminder to keep some sort of false law. And folks, when we have the mark of the land beast, and when that mark replaces the Shema, we have a problem in our world. God is asking us already today is, how are you going to be marked We've learned already that God has marked you with his Holy Spirit. And then we hear about this beast that's going to come and try to mark you as well. But folks, please do not misunderstand that God has marked you first. Because imitation has limitation. We have an imposter at play in this world. But we have a lamb who sits on a throne and he has an iron rod and he is in control no matter what dragon or beast will come your way. He alone is good. And Satan and his minions in these chapters are in full swing, but it's all a show because they're defeated and they know it. So when it comes to this dragon, the politi political landscapes of this world, the religious false worship that happens in this world. I like what Michael Gorman says. Always be ready to identify and disassociate from political powers that claim divine or quasi-divine status or blessing or even simply unquestioning allegiance. To do this may be costly, but church, may I remind you, this is about your worship. Who will you bow your knee to? A Christian could be a good citizen under a bad government, but do not be overwhelmed. Because Jesus has won and he is in control today. So do not fear. May we together as a body, Shema, may we understand to love the Lord, the God, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we will see what he will do in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. And again, there's a lot to kind of get through here today, but here we are. I am asking you to, again, help us to wrestle with this. Help us to know what you're trying to say in it. And may we see not a story of fear, but may we see a story of hope that God is on his throne and he is in charge. So whatever this dragon and his beast may throw our way, Help us to not give our allegiance to them. Help us to know that we belong to the kingdom of heaven and that you will see us through. So Jesus, as we walk into this week, help us to walk heads high, knowing whose side we are on. I thank you for your word and I ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. Maybe today you are in this place. We offer this every single Sunday. But perhaps you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Perhaps your allegiance has been to more on the other side of what we have been talking about today. I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He's got an incredible plan for you. And he wants to be the Savior and the Lord of your life. And if that is a decision that you would like to make today, our encouragement to you is to text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113. It will be a privilege of ours to be able to lead you to this person whose name is Jesus. So church, we love you. We hope that you have a fantastic week. We hope that you'll join us at one o'clock today for some lunch and a game. So have a great week and hopefully we'll see you in a few more minutes. God bless you.